Never has there been a more crucial time in the history of mankind. The kingdom of darkness has done its best to disrupt governments, enslave societies, and hinder the saints. Circling the globe, however, are mighty men and women carrying the weapons of God to undo the power of Satan, preparing people for the return of Jesus Christ. Evangelist Chris Palmer is one of these soldiers. As he carries out his itinerant, join God's man of faith and power while he contends for the faith once delivered to the saints. Your life will be changed as you learn the walk of the Spirit and the walk of power in On the Road with Chris Palmer. It's such an honor to be back at Morningstar. Who is here on Friday night? Okay, so most of you here Friday night. Did we have a good time on Friday night? It's a special time in the presence of God. Amen? And I'll just say one more time, Pastor, it's such an honor to be back. Pastor Mary, thank you for having me. I love coming to Morningstar. You all are very special to me. Family. Amen. Family. And as I said uh, on Friday, there's so many wonderful things I could say about your pastor and his wife. And very often I'll be going and traveling to different places. And I don't just not think of you when I leave here. I think of you often. It's always great to hear someone post on my wall on Facebook and tell me how wonderful things are going and what God is doing in your life. So I love you and I honor you, Pastor. And I know what it takes, I can imagine what it takes to build a church. And so God bless you for all the hard years of work you've put in ministry. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Who was here Friday again? Let me see the hands. Amen. You know, I felt led, if it's okay, this morning. I walked in and I spent, we would say, in the Christian church atmosphere in the place. Do you feel that this morning, that there's something different in the air. Maybe the atmosphere has changed a little bit. Did anybody feel that? Am I the only one? Maybe I was drinking something uh, in my coffee this morning. It made me feel that way. But do you feel, do you feel the difference, Pastor? I asked the Lord in my heart. You know, there's, I've gotten to a place in my walk with the Lord that began just a few months ago. Probably, actually, it's now November. So in September, when I got back from Europe, I... Uh, really started understanding and learning about a communion in your heart with the Lord. I know some people are like, you're a screaming preacher, but I want to speak to you from my heart this morning because I feel that what I've tried to prepare again today, I don't know if I'll get to it. <laughs> Is that okay, Pastor? All right. I'll just preach it next week somewhere else. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I've begun developing a communion in my heart with the Lord, and I've found that in, with the Spirit of God, my walk with the Lord has become much more exciting. It makes much more sense. And when I walked in here, and I felt that there had been a change in the atmosphere, you know, I talked on Friday night about how my heart began to hear the Spirit of God answer me. I would be pouring over scriptures, and instead of getting an, ex an intellectual knowledge of scripture, I started finding out that the Spirit of God would just start answering me. And I was thinking to myself, God, what did I do? What did I do to deserve that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would just begin to start answering me and giving me insight and knowledge to things? And I'm telling you because it's phenomenal 
Friday night, how when I began to really monitor Pastor Mary, the channel whereby the Spirit of God begins to talk, because one of the things that is frustrating to the Spirit of God is that we're so involved in worship and trying to please God that our mind is not on hearing from Him. We're more just posturing a lot of times when it comes to worship, and we have to dance. You don't always have to dance. We have to jump. We don't always have to jump. We have to shout. We don't always have to shout. You just do what the Spirit of God is leading you by prompting of the Holy Spirit to do at that moment. And you'll be certain that you hear the voice of God. And that's what's pleasing to Him. Because the one thing that is pleasing to Him is everything that comes out of your communion with Him. And if the dance comes out of your communion with Him, then you should dance. If the shout comes out of your communion with Him, then you should shout. If the praise comes out of your communion with Him, then you should praise. Are you following me this morning? But if it doesn't proceed out of the communion that you have in your heart with the Lord, well then, guess what? You're now starting to act like a Pharisee and walking towards something that we call religion. Because the Pharisees, what separated them from the disciples was the disciples. They may have just been fishermen, but they had a communion with the Lord Jesus. And the Pharisees, they didn't have that communion. And they were involved in religious acts and stooped in that. And that is what Jesus warns of in Scripture. So it's possible for a dance to be pharisaical. And it's possible for a shout to become pharisaical. And it's possible for teaching to be pharisaical if it does not proceed out of your communion with the Lord. Are you saying that the Lord convicted you of that? Absolutely, he sure did. Because we, So I say all that to say that when I came in here this morning, I said, God, the atmosphere is different. Oh, it's so wonderful having this communion with him. I, and just fired back an answer to me. Jeff, he fired back an answer to me. And that's why I didn't even come out till I don't know, two hours into the worship. Because when God speaks, Pastor, he just sit there like, wow. The Lord told me, it sounds simple, but it meant so much to me. The Lord said to me, we had a conversation in our heart. A lot of you are going to start hearing from God clear. You're going to awaken to his voice after this conversation. How are you following me this morning? I know last time I was here, I was, you had to pull me off the ceiling, you know. I believe that Jesus died that we could have this communion, Dr. D. And so the Spirit of God said to me, so what do you think the problem was? The atmosphere that was in the room? Do you really believe that the breakthrough that the people needed up here had to change? That there was something wrong with the air or the upper atmosphere that was hanging over the chateau here at your church? So all this time that you were praying and interceding and believing God, it was that I had to change the atmosphere here? I mean, the invisible things that we're looking at? And then I thought and I realized that's what we believe sometimes as Christians, that the real problem is, you know, what, if you could just open up your eyes and see the atmosphere is not conducive to the presence. And God says that's not what happened at all. When people say that the atmosphere is changing, you know what God is saying? Something took place inside of your heart that brought a breakthrough. And when you say the atmosphere has shifted, what you're saying is that the corporate response of the people is different because there was something that was said 
prophetically from God in this moment that was beyond religion, that was beyond just preaching, that was beyond history or archaeology or just good sermonizing. It transcended inspiration, Pastor. It was higher than religion. It was what God not had said, but what he's saying now. And it had the ability to take the stony parts of your heart and turn it into clay. And God began to shape that heart. And now you have been changed. It's a process I've discovered in Scripture it's a road that God lays out from Adam all the way to Abraham into Moses, past Ezra and Nehemiah, going through the major prophets into Jesus that come to us in the New Testament church of Acts, has now flown into us in the 21st century, a road that is called transformation. And on Friday night, I believe that when the Spirit of God came in here and had a word for his people, that you don't necessarily know how it was accomplished. You really don't know what actually transpired in the spirit realm. But all you know is that I woke up on Saturday morning and I could hear him in a way I've never heard him before. Whew. Do you feel his presence? Yes. Yes. I was in the back. You know, God will just start visiting you. Talking to you. I believe there's some times, Dr. D, where the moment is too holy for music. The moment is too holy for singing. It's too holy to even pick up the Bible and start reading it. Well, you shouldn't say that, brother. We need the word. I know. But when you understand the communion with God, there is an ebb and a flow of his word. And following the Holy Ghost is not necessarily all about hearing him speak words all the time. It's about letting him tune and calibrate you to the even flow of the Spirit. How is he speaking? Not every morning you should get up and start running and jumping and shouting because guess what? It could become religious. Sometimes the Holy Ghost might wake you up and instead of doing that praise dance, what you should do is just sit sit there was one time where the spirit of God visited me with his presence it was so clear and all of a sudden I got on my knees I said I worship it he said stop talking I said well I didn't ask you to come here and you didn't tell me you're in my house God you're telling me to stop talking no I didn't say that I said, okay. And I just sat there in his presence, and he was there. Just there. And I, when the presence lifted, and he, it was gone. He was still there, but the presence was gone. Something had changed. And it lifted it, elevated me to a higher level of authority. And I realized that this is, you know, every now and then, he wants you to have that communion with him. Right now, today, 
So I thought we would start the service off this morning. I want one good testimony. Who has a good testimony about what God did in your heart on Friday night? Raise your hand if you're here. You have a testimony. You feel changed. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Who wants to share a testimony tonight? Is, well, come on up here, Cheryl. Is it Cheryl? Okay, Cheryl, come up here. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so go ahead and cheer on. Tell the Lord, tell the Lord, well, tell the Lord too, but tell the people and the Lord. Tell us all what the Lord did in your heart, how you've been changed. Mm. Um, when you talked about that Jesus came to die for our sins, I, I know that. We've known that all our lives, but, um, and that the blood covers. I was seeing that God sent him to get rid of our sins and everything that was wrong, but he came to be our father. And it was he, that was the ultimate. And when Mary fell at his feet, when he had resurrected, he said, I'm going to go and tell them I'm going to your father, to my father and to your father. And I felt God's covering over me like I never before. He's my father, my dad. You see how you're crying, you feel that love. That's something that's divine. There are people that search all over the place. They go in search of religion, but they cannot, they cannot access this. I often wonder where the tears come from. Are they tears of joy? Are they tears of sadness? What kind of tears are they? It's just overwhelming emotion to know that he's your father. Glory to God. And you know what this does? When you understand, I, I found out this, that when you come to the real revelation understanding that God is your father. Do you know what the first thing that kicks in in your life becomes? Peace. Overwhelming peace. I was on a flight that went from Rome. No, we were going from Philadelphia to Rome. And we, this was in August. This, had, this, had, this occurred between the last time I saw you all. And we were, I was telling Pastor Mary this story because, you know, she's a flight attendant for United. Amen. You know, and you guys in Chicago are all United people. We're going to bring you over on the winning side, the Delta side in Detroit. <laughs> we're Delta people in Detroit. <laughs> all right, all right. Spirit, they don't even give you pop on the flight. You have to pay three bucks for it. Fly cheap until you get to the airport. Then you're going to charge you up. Hope no one works for spirit here this morning. <laughs> so I was, I was getting ready to fly. I was with my armor bearer. I call him Tree because he looks like a tree. He's tall like a tree and everything. He's about six foot six or seven. <sighs> and we're getting ready to take off. And long story short, they abort the takeoff. It goes screaming down the runway, and all of a sudden the plane just just comes to an aborted takeoff. It's curving this way, curving that way. Felt like the plane was going to go off the runway. And this isn't 45 minutes from Detroit to Chicago, which I'll do tonight. Listen, if there was a problem on an airplane, I would like it to be a 45-minute flight because that takes away from the ability to think that something possibly could happen in 45 minutes. It's up and down when you're ascending. I went from, on Wednesday, Columbia, South Carolina to Charlotte, 19-minute flight. Come on, if someone's going to just, if there's going to be an aborted takeoff, let it be on one of those flights, not eight and a half hours overseas. And, <clears throat> you know... I've been flying a long time now, and when I first started flying, if there we hit some turbulence, I'd get a little nervous, and my hands would get a little sweaty, and I worked my way out of that because it's just like hitting, you know, atmospheric potholes, right? 
okay. Right? Jeff's like, that's true. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of deluding myself when I'm on airplanes to convince myself everything is okay. They're potholes. They're pot that seems to be working right now, so I'm going to leave it at that. But this, I have never had this happen to me before. And when you look at the flight attendant and they look nervous, you know something is wrong. Because they have been through everything. Everything they've been through, everything. There's nothing they haven't seen. Crazy passengers, people sneaking stuff on the airplane, everything. They've seen it all. They teach you in your training. You know when you have a problem. You know what's going to happen. And the guy was sitting there. He was a man, too. He was sitting there like this. And I looked at him. I said, my, my armor bearer said to him, what, 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 is this normal? He said, this really has never happened. I don't know what's going on. But at that point, I felt like somebody, literally, this wasn't a thought. This was an actual special manifestation because we were God's men going on assignment over to Eastern Europe for two and a half weeks. And I didn't have to pray in this moment because I have a communion with God. Sometimes you don't have to go to God. He will come to you. He'll visit you. We have a fellowship with him. Praying doesn't mean you have to do it on your knees. Prayer is the communion that you and the Lord have together one another. And I have found that if you want to access God, it doesn't mean you just have to shift and think about all the scriptures that can bring you into his presence when you always live 100% of the time in the presence of God. I felt literally from my toes, I was sitting down on the airplane, from my toes, it was like somebody was taking a blanket and pulling it all the way up, and it stopped about right here, up to my neck, and I felt I had this warm blanket upon my life, and it was his aggressive peace. And the thought of the plane crashing... See, nobody, I had this revelation too, nobody is afraid of a plane crashing. When you tell me you're afraid of the plane crashing, you're not telling me you're afraid of the plane crashing. You're really telling me you're afraid of dying. Nobody's afraid of flying. Actually, people like flying. They're afraid of dying. So what you're telling me is you're afraid of death. I found out, Pastor, it wasn't this peace that was fortifying me against going up in the air and flying. It was deeper than that. This was the peace of God in Romans chapter 8 where he says that he has removed the enmity. And in Hebrews chapter 6 where it says that he has removed the fear of death. And it was that blanket, that warmth that I was feeling was divine life that was being pulled up all the way to here. And I was under a blanket of life and I really felt in my spirit death is something that I don't even know. It was the peace of God. You can have this peace in your life. A lot of you are going to need it when Thanksgiving comes around and you have to see that family member. (laughs) 
You feel all spiritual, been praying and listening to Jason Upton 16 hours a day. Go to that Thanksgiving. And you know, that crazy cousin comes walking in. And you know what they always try and do? They try to aggravate you and get you talking and riled up. And you know, you go to that church and you talk about, you believe Jesus did, I don't believe. And if you're not full of the peace of God, you're going to start fighting them and firing back at them. You don't understand that there are toxic people in life. And you should just do what people do when something's toxic and stay away from it. I used to play a game called Mario Brothers. I don't know if anybody here has ever played Mario Brothers. There was, in Mario Brothers, as you were going through the journey to try and save the princess from the castle, there was a little black bomb that would had two feet like this, and it would walk its way to you like this, and it was a bomb. And as close as it got to Mario, the closer it got, it started flashing red and flashing red, and it, you knew it was going to explode. This is how people are today. They're self-destructive people, and they're trying to get as close as they possibly can to you. And what you have to do is just do like Mario, Dr. T, and just jump over the people and stay away from them. Because they're going to take your peace. You can have this peace out of your communion with God where they can sit there and talk all the foolish talking that they want to talk. Their word for foolish in the Greek is phalero. That is a Greek word that talks about empty talking. There's a lot of empty talkers out there. They just talk empty talk. I, don't, I hate the president. I don't like this government. I hate everything and everybody and everyone. Because, listen, the devil understands that one of the quickest ways to take your peace is not with a what, it's with a who. And he'll find somebody and send that person into your life to try and take it from you and and if you've been fortified with the peace of God, this cannot happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Jim, where are you at? Is Jim here? I know he played a while today, but we're going to get on piano. We'll just, so I want to talk to you this morning about what I have found that... The communion that you develop with the Lord will bring in your life. So the conference is called Awakening. So the title of this sermon this morning is Awake to Love. Awake to Love. First Corinthians chapter 12, actually. The Bible says here, and I talked a little bit about this uh, on Friday. I feel him here this morning. Do you feel him here? I believe we can get to a place in our walk with God where we're not moved by any who's or any what's or anything's or anybody. And we can just learn how to rightfully maintain the communion with God. We're not stewards over all the things that we're stewards over. We're stewards over that communion and fellowship with Jesus. And if there's anything that you're to steward over, it's stewarding and guarding that walk with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 27. This is a scripture that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. I think the book of Corinthians is really excellent. When you find out that the book of 1 Corinthians was written to carnal people that were babes. So when somebody is breaking down the book of Corinthians thinking that they deep. Paul told them, you're babes and I'm only going to give you milk. 
And so nothing in this book is really heavy. It's just milk. So there's nothing really deep in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you think you're being deep by trying to, you know, take apart the book of Corinthians and put it back together, you're just doing simple things because this is just the milk of the word of God. You want some meat, go to Hebrews. You know, it's very rare you see a preacher say, open up to Hebrews chapter 7. They ain't talking nothing about Melchizedek and the Melchizedek priesthood. Yeah, they ain't doing that. This is simple stuff, but yet it's so deep and profound. You have to master these things first. And I believe when the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart and starts developing in you the communion, the very first thing he'll do is begin to install into your spirit what Paul talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians. I don't, trust me, it'll make sense here in just a second. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Now you are the body of Christ corporately, and we're all members in particular. This doesn't just refer to you being a member in particular. This is the body of Christ as a whole. And members in particular, this could mean you or it could mean the church at Corinth because it was part of the greater assembling of a church. There's churches out there that think that the only thing going on. Hey, you got to come down to this ministry and do this thing. There's a lot of phenomenal ministries. We are all members of the body of Christ. The Lord told me that the way that the enemy has sought to bring division inside of churches that are flown in spiritual gifts is through something that he termed and gave me the term elitism. Everybody thinks that they are elite. I'm not fellowshipping with that church because we do things better around here. Stop with the foolishness. Elitism. God can't use people beyond a certain point if they get into that. And God has set some of the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workings, workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? And in the Greek, if you study it, there's no question mark right there. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The Catholic Bible translates it and says, do all speak in tongues and do all have the ability to interpret those tongues? He's talking about the public use of tongues. Because everybody can have the spiritual language of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And that's 1 Corinthians 14. But here he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. We see this scripture and we take off with it. We want to go after that spiritual gift. God, if I could only operate in the word of knowledge and tell people the sickness that they have in their body. Only if I could just flow in the gifts of healing the way that Catherine Kuhlman flowed. I could launch a multi-million dollar ministry. I could go around and astound the sinner. I, oh, God, if I could do that. And there's a level of coveting that goes on where we covet spiritual gifts. Now, that's better than coveting stuff in the world. It's good. It's virtuous. These are virtues. But Paul says in Scripture, but yet I show you a more excellent way. You know, when you preach on the love of God, people think it's going to be a boring message, but this is going to be exciting to you. I woke up this morning, and the Spirit of God told me this, and this is why I'm preaching on this, because I had another message for you all. Convicted my heart. He says, those that think that they love me more than other people are religious. There are people that think, I love God, I love God, I love God. I love Him, I love him more than every other person that walks. I love God more than my family. I love God more than my pastor. I love God more than me. I love God more than other people. These people are self-deceived. Because when you understand and you get the heart of God, you can't help but love other people with the same intensity and same passion and fire that you love God Himself. It is a 
tear to my dad's heart when he ever saw my brother and me arguing. And he would say, do you love me? He would say, yes. He would say, then I want you to love your brother the same way that you love me. Because when I see you and your brother fighting, you don't realize how it breaks my heart. And you can do whatever it takes to please me. But when you and your brother are fighting, I grieve and I'm saddened. And so I found the Spirit of God that he told me back in September that this was going to be a time in your life where I'm going to start to visit you with his presence. But I had a part to play in this, Marcy, because I had to engage in something that's called worship. And I found that going into worship was not fun because it caused me to yield my emotions. I used to think that praying in tongues was fun because I wouldn't necessarily have to have my mind present all the time. It would go and try and fix a problem. I'd say, okay, mind, enjoy that. You go fix that problem. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to pray in tongues. And when you decide to come back, my spirit will have spent three hours praying and edifying myself. And you just come on back here. And that's legal. You can do that. But worship, you have something more that's required than just your spirit. You have to get your soul involved, which means you have to set your mind on things above. And you have to begin to imagine the God-man there standing before you. And it's not about the abundance of words. It's what you put behind every word when you worship him. I would say, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. And I would find my mind would be down in Florida somewhere on a hot, sunny beach thinking about if I could only have a vacation. And I would have to go get my mind and reel it back in. Pastor Stephen said, no, we're not taking a vacation here. We're going to go back and we're going to worship the Lord. And this became a process that took place. I worship you. But I found that when I could get to the place where my mind was quiet, where my spirit was engaged with the presence of God, and where my mouth or my body was in a place where it was honoring to him, I would find that it wouldn't be long before the presence of God would start to show up in the room. And when the presence would come, Linda, it would become easy to yield to God. It wasn't something that I was trying to, I had to do. It was something that I wanted to do. And when the presence would lift, it would become, God, don't go without taking me with you. But he would leave, and I would find that he didn't leave me the same. I was transformed. This is his presence. What we can have. This is what we can have. God is like His presence is like a cloud. Think about a cloud. You know what happens when a cloud leaves its altitude and comes down to the lower stratospheres? You know what we call that? People don't like to drive in it. It's called fog. All a fog is is a cloud with moisture. And guess what happens in the morning when the sun comes and hits that cloud and the cloud leaves? It leaves something called dew on the grass. That's why the grass is wet when you wake up in the morning and it didn't rain. And when the presence of God begins to come in your life, it always leaves a residue upon your life. I was watching a preacher on television and the Lord says, he doesn't have it. I says, he's preaching, God. This is good preaching. I wish I could preach like that guy. He says, he doesn't have it, though. I said, why? He says, because he hasn't been with me for a while. He said, when he started off in his ministry, he spent time in my presence. But he learned through oratory and great speaking that he can get by without the presence because he was mesmerizing with people with the way he was talking, but he didn't have the heavy-hitting sense of his presence. 
And so he came to visit me, and I would sit there, and his presence would be strong upon me, and I would realize that I would be changed. I would be different. I would be so different. I would just be different. I wouldn't think the same. It would curve things in my life. It wasn't a seven ways to get over this. It was just I'm over it now. It was the residue of his presence. And so many times, Dr. D, we get busy. We want, we want the word. Give them the word. Give them the word. Give them the word. Give them the word. But I know people that can talk to you and give you the word and yet not know the heart of God. Because the prophetic is coming. The prophetic is coming from his presence. The prophetic is in this book, but really the prophetic is in his presence, and you have to find his presence. And therefore, you have to worship, like Pastor Steve said, in spirit and in truth to find out where God is now. Now. I'm saying. Love is a wonderful thing, the love of God. You really can't love people until you know the length that love went for you. And I found out that I could try to love people all I wanted, Pastor Steve. I would, I'll be transparent, I'd go preach. Have great services, see people healed, touched, transformed. They all liked me. I think most of the churches at least. <laughs> and I'd get on the airplane. I'd be passionate. People always say, you're passionate. You're on fire. Yes, I am. You got power. That I do. That's cocky. No, it's not. You know the word. Indeed. And I'd get on the airplane. And I wouldn't want to be bothered with anyone around me. People would be hurting on the plane trying to talk to me. And you know what I used to do, Jeff? I used to take my earpieces and put them in my ear before the person in the seat could sit down next to me so they saw I was tuned out because I'm not talking to you because I don't want to be bothered. No love in my heart for people. It was there, but I could tune it on and turn it off whenever I wanted to. It was on, switch, and off, switch to the love of God. I was just too high and mighty. But when you walk with God, He's patient with you because He's love and love is patient. You don't realize that God is more patient with you than you think he is. He's more patient with you than people. Have, he's more patient with you than I'll be with you. He's more patient. Here you are thinking that you're fumbling because you haven't got to that revelation that you thought you were supposed to get. You're not getting everything the preacher says. You, you don't understand this chapter in the Bible. You just can't get it. But God is saying, it's okay. I'm more patient. I am patient. I'll forbear with you. I just want to know you're trying. I'm going to walk with you. So God was patient with me, and I started spending time in his presence because I realized that's what I needed. I needed to drink his presence. I needed the presence. So I would shelve the Bible for a while. I wouldn't try to come up with sermons no more. I wouldn't try to just study something out and sound deep. I was just in his presence, the love of God. God started showing me just how much he loved me. I'd read scriptures about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and the death that he took. And I would even go into Old Testament and start uncovering truths about the wonderful Messiah that was going to come. 
And I started finding out that I couldn't get away from the love of God. Every page of every page of the Bible contained it. And I started being filled with a revelation of the love of God that he had for my life. And without even trying, Amy, I would go some places and I would see people and their hearts would be broken and torn into people, Pastor Steve, that were annoying to me, people that were I considered obsolete. My heart started breaking for those people, people that have wronged me, people that have talked about me. I started finding out that my heart was breaking for these people. And even when I would seek to say things about people I shouldn't say, I would find the Spirit of God would curve my lips or convict me. Immediately after, I would say those things. And do you know why? It's because there was a residue of love that was on my life. And there's no way that you could go into the presence of God full of anger and unforgiveness and get it. So it became now putting into balance. Do you want to hold on to these deadly toxic weaknesses and infirmities? Or do you want to let them go and enter my presence? Wow. So God started doing something very interesting in my life as he always does he made me look in the mirror the spiritual mirror and he'll do it to you because when you start do you know why God loves worship so much God didn't create worship for him he created it for you because it's a reflection process here you are when you're worshiping God he turns the mirror and all of a sudden you start worshiping his presence and God takes it and goes like this and you see who you really are in his presence and then he pulls the mirror back and you see who he is then he takes the mirror and he puts it back to you so it's this process of looking in the mirror and looking at him and look guess why God loves it because when you let the worship change you guess what begins to happen you get transformed and then guess what you do you take the mirror and you put it back on God and he sees himself in you That's why God loves his people, because you are a mirror, a reflection of his glory and his power. That's why he can't stay away from you, because he was so glorious and powerful that he needed somebody to create so that he could see how glorious and powerful he was. And he didn't create sand and burn it and create a mirror so he could look into it. What God did is he created people in his image, and when he looks at you, he sees himself, and therefore, guess what he does? He takes the first step in drawing near to you because he can't stay away from his goodness. why when you start worshiping God he comes why because he's attracted to his own goodness Dr. D he's attracted to his own love that's why he says you're going to have to let go of the unforgiveness let go of the unkindness and let go of the arrogance because he wants to be attracted to his own goodness and he won't be if it's mixed with those deformities but let him go. Engage the Spirit of God in your life. Let the Holy Ghost start having his way. Let those things be eradicated. And he'll start coming. He'll start coming. Why? Because you look like him. You are a mini Jehovah. Yes, I said it. You're not a God. You can't replace God. But you certainly can represent him. And he comes and he feels your presence. Because you're worshiping God. He'll always remind you, you're the son. He's the father. You get how it was working? 
Worship was doing something in my life that was astounding. It was, no preacher could do it to me. No set of tapes could do it to me. Oh, my God. Listen to this. Watch this. Watch this. I started realizing that when you worship, it removes all the sense of elitism. You're not bound by denominations and preachers anymore. Because nothing can replace his presence. And when you get into the presence of God, Dr. D, you realize how good he really is and how far away everybody is from his goodness. I know preachers that they won't say they're doing it, but in their ministry, they come out with a new book. You better buy it. You come out with new CDs, better get it. You want to hear about financial prosperity? Listen to my preacher talk about it, not him. He got it first, not them. And they get people addicted to them and their teaching. Well, we'll go over and hear the guest speaker, but it's at this house because we're getting miracles. Listen, nobody's an expert on nothing except for God himself. These people are small, religious, inside the box, yet they wonder why God is not blessing their own ministries in the way that he could because they really don't know the heart of God because my job is not to turn you over to me. My job is to turn you over to him because I know I am just the moon reflecting the glory of the sun. the sun the moon is not the source of its own glory it needs the sun take away the sun and you'll see that the moon is just a dark ball of matter that is just in and of itself darkness but give the sun and it reflects the glory of God and if God did anything through me it's because I reflected him so what's the glory is the glory in the moon no the glory is from the sun because it is a self-sustaining, powerful agent. And every ministry being used of God in healing or words of knowledge or whatever, they're just reflecting Him. So guess what? You don't get no glory, moon. He gets the glory. And this is something that Paul understood when he wrote about grace that no man can boast. Are you starting to see the importance of but the first thing that worship will do, Linda, is it will give you an overwhelming understanding and sense that he has. Paul said here, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, that's a pretty good gift to have. It's, just, it's common, but it's just as divine as working the miracles. And I don't have charity. I've become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. But I got news for you. Keep on praying in tongues and you won't be a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal for very long. And though I have the gift of prophecy, that's a good gift to have. Speaking unto men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. The word of God right now. And though I understand all mysteries, that's even better. And all knowledge. And I, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity... And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, these are for the people that really can't flow in the spiritual gifts, so they want to shift over and doing good things. Paul's got their number too. And vice versa, for the people that flow in power, but they don't want to give anything out of their pockets. Paul's got everybody's number. He's got the philanthropist number and the spiritual people's number. So he technically has the number of every church. All those people that think spiritual gifts are important, God's speaking to those churches. Those people that just want to do good deeds and feed people on Thanksgiving, he's got their number too. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it doesn't profit me. He says in verse 4, 
He gives you a description of love. Charity suffers long. Kindness. Okay, so this is a description of love. Now watch this. Charity never fails. We think this verse many times means, if I just use love, I won't fail. You know what? That's true. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that in the eternal ages to come, charity will not pass away like a vapor in the morning. That means that there is no shelf life, Jenny, on the love of God. That's why he values it more than anything else. Because it's not going to expire. Give me a painting by somebody today. If it's just a fad, it'll be good today and gone tomorrow. We got millions of painters. Now we find out abstract art is that wonderful artistic thing. This ab we get abstract art is in all of a sudden in style. So, wow, look at this abstract art. Look at this. But it has a shelf life on it. And today, it's not going to be as valuable because of it that come. More record was. And it's going to lose its value. But give me an authentic Rembrandt. An authentic Michelangelo. An authentic Da Vinci. Give me something that's authentic where nobody at the time had the ability to replicate it. And that thing has no shelf life. And its value is through the roof. Get your hands on just a sketch. Just a dot. Just a circle that Rembrandt drew. Just a star he drew. Just scribbles on his notepad. You'll find out you'll never have to work another day in your life. God is saying that all spiritual gifts have a shelf life. Look at Pastor. Whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether tongues, they'll cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. Dr. D, God is saying that when you get a hold of my heart, I'm not going to build in you just spiritual gifts. I know people that can prophesy two ways to Tuesday and three ways to Thursday, four ways to Friday. But do they know that this is going to pass away? And that's why Paul is saying, you're carnal because everything you've been building, everything you think the Holy Ghost have been building into you in the idea or in the essence of the eternal ages to come, it's all going to pass away. But the valuable one, the one that has the more excellent way, the Holy Ghost has gotten a hold of that person and has started building in them an operation that begins now and will be carried out to five hundred trillion years from now in the next age. See, we think we're going to get to heaven and then the new earth, the new ages, the new earth is going to come and that's just going to be it. Did you know there's other ages going on? That means that there's a shift in God's thinking that God is doing more things, that it's just not one whole era of eternal bliss, but God is doing something now and then another age comes where something different. What, what do you think all this space is for? You think God, what, I mean, you think you just be floating around and jamming and jam sessions in heaven when we get there? You got work to do. Pick up a shovel, put on some gloves, get your work boots on because God has got a whole universe he wants you to construct. All this empty space is going to be filled with the glory of his love and power. It's my mama over there. 
ages to come. And guess what? You might be find out that you're in the seventh age since you were redeemed. The seventh age since you were raptured. The seventh age since the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. You might not even remember what it was like to prophesy because you back then saw in part. But guess what? We'll still be working in you, Pastor Steve. The love that God began in you when you're in your bedroom worshiping, it still will be there. It's still there. It's still there. That love is still working. You might be some type of an ambassador to some quarter of some distant part of the universe and the galaxies will say, wow, look at the love that that person had. Where did it all begin? Let me take you back seven billion years when I was by myself in my prayer closet worshiping and I sensed the love of God. It was imparted into my heart and I became his son and he became my father. And guess what? Let me tell you about his goodness. It's still growing. And every time I think that I have captured the instance of how, how far his love can go, it still grows. It still grows, Jim. It still grows. You can't dig out the love of God from exegeting the scripture. Because the love... It's him. And unless he breathes on you, you'll never find it. You'll never uncover it. It says in 1 Corinthians 13.10, but when that is perfect, is come. That which is in part shall be done away. Verse number 11. This is Paul. This verse here must have demoralized religious people. This, this verse is an insult right here. This is not Paul being nice. This is a slam. It was a diss. It was a chastisement. It was like they had built a deck of cards and Paul came by with his converse and steps on it. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What are those childish things he's talking about? He's talking about maturity. No matter what you do here on this planet, you will not fully be matured into a son of God. Because Jeff, Amy, as beautiful a couple as you all are, you have yet to put on your glorified body. That is awaiting for you. When you get to heaven, until you put that glorified body on, well, you have not become a full-fledged, manifested child of the living God. Yes, your redemption has happened. Yes, you have received the earnest of the Spirit, having received a reborn spirit and the fullness of the Holy Ghost. But the promise yet awaits. Your salvation doth remain a hope to receive the glorified body. So when you put on the glorified body, Pastor Stephen, you step into manhood. Or for those here today that believe in chivalry, womanhood. Then you become a full-fledged child of God. Until that point, you may prophesy the world down. You may have a healing gift that could cause a third leg to grow. But you are still a child. 
Paul says, when you put away these childish things, your childish way of thinking, that which is imperfect is going to pass away. When you become mature, the glorified man is not going to flow in the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Those childish things will be put away. But guess what that glorified man is going to still have? The love that God built in you when you're here on the earth. It's that love. Look what he says. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. You know what this glass darkly means? It means that now to comprehend the love of God, many times it takes a dark glass to do it. This is a spiritual gift. We need a word of knowledge, a prophecy to let us know how much he loves us. Heal me, and I'll know you love me. This is seen through a glass darkly, and it says that we won't need those dark glasses anymore because we'll see them face to face. And look what it says here. Now I know in part. What is he talking about now I know in part? The context is the love of God. Now I know the love of God in part because I've seen it manifested through a spiritual gift. I've seen it manifested in many ways. He says, but then I shall know even as I am also known. There will be a day when you get to heaven, young person. There will be a day when you get to heaven, man or woman of God, where nobody or a preacher will have to stand before you and declare to you the love of God. You will stand face to face, and you will see man who through every age and dispensation has glown and beamed with his love. His name is Jehovah, the second person of the Trinity. Israel described him as Jehovah Jireh. They tried to say he's Jehovah Sidkenu. They talked about him as the angel of the Lord. They would say often, he is Adonai. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he manifested himself in flesh as Yeshua Mashiach. We have grown in this age to call him Jesus. Savior of the world, deliverer of his people, redeemer, counselor, wonderful. And out of the bosom of the Father, you will stand before God. And out of his bosom will proceed one that looks like you. It's significant that he looks like you. Because if he has a glorified body the way you have a glorified body, and he does, he does, he'll have it forever. This is the Father. He comes out from among the Father. And you notice that his flesh is like your flesh. His bone is like your bone. And you will know that you have a God, Charles, that has been touched with the feeling of your weaknesses. When you say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, he did. What God do you know? What people, what tribe, what ethnic group serves a God that didn't just demand exaltation and retribution and tribute and honor, but he himself came down to the degradation of to a cursed and fallen world, saw the flesh 
saw the struggle and the human struggle and says, I will witness and my father won't even have to ask me. I'll willfully do it. And he himself who had created the, fi the hot fires and the burning nature of hell, he himself turned up that furnace for the devil and all of his angels says, even though I turned up the furnace, I put the coal in there, I made the lake of fire with my own hand, I myself will now get into that chamber of darkness. What could drive Somebody to do is love. You're still wondering if he wants to heal you. You're still in his for today or if God is trying to teach you something through your sickness. God didn't leave himself in there. But with the power of his glory, he was resurrected on the third day. He now visited man for 40 days, ascended to heaven, came down, visited man for 40 days. He ascended up to the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for you. This is not the same concept of the Jesus of the Old Testament, rather referred to as the angel of the Lord, because the angel of the Lord didn't have a flesh and bone body as he now does and every time you wonder if God is going to leave you on this planet there is one that ever lives to make intercession for you and the fact that he has a glorified body is a continual and ever present reminder that your redemption waiteth for you and the hope of the promise is seen in Jesus isn't that phenomenal the love of God transcended everything I would find that going into his presence became a joy. As great as services I've been in when there's been phenomenal praise and worship that can't take me to the depths of his love that I've discovered. You know what will start happening? Now watch this. There has to be a point in everybody's praise and worship where you become irritated if you're going to grow. What do you mean by that? You go places where they're doing praise and worship where back maybe 10 months ago you thought it was great. Nothing's changed, but you start getting irritated by it. And your prayer can only be that eventually the praise and worship leaders, wherever you're at, become irritated too by it. Why is that? Because you're being irritated to go to the next level in it. Take me to the next level of glory in this praise and worship. Out of this irritation or the birth pangs come the child, which is a new song. New songs start arising. And the glory of this former song is not the glory of this, of this latter song. is not the glory of the former song. This song has more glory on it. 
It was birthed out of seasons of worship with the presence of God. And guess what starts happening? Like a snake that sheds its skin, you start shedding that old form of worship. And God starts bringing you into a new shed of worship. But it took, in the beginning, irritation. You got irritated that, I don't like this worship music no more. I don't like it. I don't like it. But they're doing nothing wrong. Don't blame them. You're just going through the process of transformation. And guess what? All of a sudden, you start realizing that there's other people. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame nobody. Just start worshiping. And you start worshiping. Guess what starts happening? There is now a rhythm that goes on and worship is brought to the next level. That can really worship is a release. It releases what's in your heart towards God. Sometimes the worship that you're at right now just can't release it. But you break that next level of worship. And you find yourself on a different level where, yes, this song is doing it. This song is doing it. That's when the glory starts showing up. You'll find that the love of God in your life cannot be conquered. You'll see people differently. Just look at them. And I've seen people now gone back to my hotel room after service and dreamt about certain people in the services who I won't see again but I can pray for them or just just, it's just I haven't figured all that out yet I, I just can't I can't expound on that greater I'm just telling you what I know by revelation things I've cracked mysteries sometimes God is doing something over here and doing something over here he has a brick here a brick there and then eventually he brings it all together so I don't build doctrine off of experience but I can tell you that when I started getting the love of God like this in manifestation in my life, I stopped becoming so self-aware of me. And when I would pray for people, the love of God turned into a form of will where I wanted so bad to dig down deep inside of me and find exactly what that person needs up so that person can get their healing. Paul says, I'll show you a more excellent way. Instead of coveting the spiritual gifts, why don't you chase love? Go after love. And that love will pull down everything that is necessary for that situation. The love of God. We're here concerned about all of our needs. But when you go after the love of God, you'll find out it's in that love that those needs have been met and you enter into faith. Awake to his love. Stand to your feet this morning. Stand to your feet. And take a moment. I'll tell you to lift your hands. But there's a response. Usually the response that's most appropriate for the moment is the response that you find in your heart for the moment. There's a response in your heart right now to the love of God. Don't work anything up or do something out of religion or do it because you were taught to do it. What's the response of your heart right now if the master himself were to walk in the room and stand right here? What would your response be? It doesn't have to always be a loud, jubilant, jubilant response. 
because he is here. And there is an appropriate response that's in your heart. I want you at this moment to respond to his love. You can lift your hands. You can be silent. Jesus. I, I find words of adoration are wonderful. They always seem to get his attention. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I love you. And I just called to tell you I love you, Jesus. I don't want anything. I have everything I need. So I engage you now because Jesus, at 2.35 on Sunday, November 4th, just wanted to take this time to tell you that I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you. You are wonderful to me, Jesus. There is nobody better than you. You are lovely. You are pure. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus. I bless the day I was born again. I thank you for the day that you found me. For when I was at enmity with you, you could have been angry at me. Yet God commanded his love toward us. There was no guarantee I would accept it. There was no guarantee that the free will of man would receive the Savior. There was no premise that we must receive him. It was a gamble. Without any guarantee, love said yes. Without any confirmation, love took its flight. And Jesus, you Jesus you are the center thank you Jesus receive his love this morning I feel led to tell you he's kinder than what you previously thought his mercy knows no ends. His judgment has been reserved. His anger, just for a moment. His wrath halted by righteousness. For where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. You see, says the Lord, receive my love and watch love heal your body. 
receive my love. Watch love transform your mind. For who hath known my love? Who has found its end? Who has searched its depth? Who has measured its heights? What is love, says the Lord? I am love. Where is love? Love is found by you this moment. So receive. You know, people of God, love is a person. It is a being. And it has set its affection on you. Every time you say, Jesus, I love you, his love fills your heart. forms no longer inward transformation you know it's funny I woke up recently and I my approach has been different has been all wrong when God fills your heart with his love you'll find out that, yes, people are wrong. It doesn't change that. It doesn't change the fact that Muslims are wrong and people are wrong. It changes your response to it. I'm not... Don't put any words in my mouth because I'm saying this. I'm saying what I'm saying, and that's it. is that the Lord told me, Son, from this point forward, I want you to... He didn't say convert. He just says, I want you to lead Catholics deeper. I thought, said they were not saved I believe there would be a lot of wonderful Catholics in heaven but what the Lord told me was circles disregard the Catholics do you know that I have searched Catholic churches and have found how so many of them love me I was like wow so they really do he said yeah oh yeah their devotion to me is unchallenged He said, but religion 
has prevailed in keeping people like you from seeing the true cry of their heart to go deeper. And you're meeting them at the point of religion. And there's a clash that's outward. that says, Lord, take me beyond religion. Take me beyond tradition. Bring them and lead them deeper into my love. And allow my love to cause the formality of Catholicism to break itself off as they enter into a wonderful relationship in communion and it doesn't have to look like you let me mold it into what I say it can be God's going to use some people here to lead Catholics deeper I'm not calling them wrong I'm not, I'm not touching any of that stuff I'm not getting into it I'm just saying that we're going to lead them deeper I've noticed that I have been surrounded by Catholics everywhere I go just starts happening that way. God says the approach has been all wrong. You've been trying to tit for tat. Lead him deeper into my love. Don't call him wrong. Don't tell him not to go and do all. Don't call him the great whore of Revelation 17. He said, because you don't see what I see in them. They love me. I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying all people in Pentecostal church love God. I'm, I listen. I'm just saying that we don't know people's hearts. And you know what I found out about, about the love of God? It's one or the other. Love or judgmentalness. That's a word. And I'm not one of these people that just think we're no hell and everyone's going to have. I am not that at all. I'm not radical grace like that. It's a doctrine of Satan. These arrogant people. Champions of relativism are champions of nothing. Everything's become relevant and you champion that. Or if everything's become relative and you champion that, you are a champion of nothing. No thing. <laughs> when I'm preaching, I say, no thing. I do believe there's a hell and I believe it's hot and I believe it's waiting to swallow people. And there's only one thing that's going to keep people going there it's love. And out of love comes its friend kindness, its friend mercy. But don't forget that love is not flaky, so that's when its brother wisdom shows up on the scenes. Knowledge shows up. All this is coming out of love. Commitment. Love is committed. That's why it's not just a piece of paper that shows marriage. If you, a piece of paper is proof that you have committed. A piece of paper is bind your finances to that person. Love is commitment. I tell people all the time, don't marry that joker if he's not willing to give a ring to you. No, wait. Sleep with that joker if he's not willing to give a ring to you. Love. Never. Will fade. Lift your hands to Jesus. Father, I heard your word this morning. We commit. 
We commit to your love. Whose heart feels like a spring that's about to explode right now? No, mine does. It's just a holy moment. The love of God. So what about the election, says the Lord? Just walk in love. Somebody here, I was praying for you last night. You have a mom that is very sick to the point of death. I hear the Lord saying that. Will you come up? I want to pray for you, mom. Where are you at this morning? Or this afternoon, I should say, by now. Are you here? Somebody has a mother that needs a touch. I want to pray for you. Where? Come up here, sister. this your mom? And she needs a touch from God. Oh, she's here. What does God need to do in her body? Her love. Ma'am, can you face me? Hold my hand. I'll never forget one time I saw the true healing power of God manifested. I was in Bible college, Minneapolis, Minnesota, North Central University. A preacher by the name of Tim Enlow was preaching. He was real quaint, simple. And he said, close your eyes. The Lord's here. There was a girl next to me. She started going crazy. Tears, joy. Tim said, what's going on? She says, when we were worshiping, I saw Jesus walk through the door. He was holding a pair of lungs. And Tim said, what did he say to you? And he said, look, look what I have for you. She was instantly delivered from asthma. Says God is not a respecter of persons. Now, whether you damage those lungs through smoking or those things have been hindered just by natural cause, close your eyes. I hear the Lord say this morning, Daughter, look what I have for you. Michael, hold this microphone. life is over you know life never ends it doesn't it just keeps getting better and better and better you know the Lord showed me about death I wrote this in my book public service note my book will be out in March I wrote this in my book death has lost its sting because of love do you know what the sting of death was its ability to separate you from God that was the sting of death. It wasn't the fires of hell because even when you're in the fires of hell, 
the worst and most agonizing torment around will be the hopelessness that God has no longer remembered you. So there's no way out. So death still exists. Death without a sting. Henceforth, John, we talked about logic. Death is no longer the same. And if death separated from God, and death no longer separates from God, but death now still exists, what has death become? Yet that which reconciles us closer to Him. Death, Paul, was something he didn't hurry along because he knew it was inevitable and coming. Yet he found that even when I die, death has become an agent that now brings me yet closer to him. So bring me to the Colosseum of Nero and let my head hit the dusty floor because I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. I'm just holding this. I bless your people. I bless Morning Star here in Huntley. May they understand the breadth and length and depth and height. Build in them the love of God. Do miracles, signs and wonders. Bless Pastor Mary and Pastor Stephen. May they be ready for the harvest. Guide them with wisdom to navigate them. Thank you for listening. For more information about Chris Palmer and Chris Palmer Ministries, visit us on the web at www.chrispalmerministries.com or call us at 1-866-98-AWAY. And remember, walk in the Spirit in these last days.